First episode of the National Institute for Gamer Review. I am DK. I'm Lewis, and the RNG has decided your country. I mean, spaceship is full of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, today we are discussing, um, I guess, mainly a um, uh, roguelike title by the name of FTL, Faster Than Light. Um, although I don't know, I mean, it was sort of, an, I, I don't know, we'll have to think about this more or, or we'll see where the conversation goes. Um, uh, yeah. And then the role of RNG obviously is, is uh, very large in, in, in this genre for the most part. Um, I guess we should probably start by, by noting, uh, that yeah, FTL is, is this, uh, is this, it really kickstarted the, the trend which you still see, it's it's now ebbed somewhat, but um, it was released in 2012 and kickstarted this trend of of rogue lights or rogue likes, but you know slightly different, which which is to say games taking certain kinds of design cues from the uh, text only RPG rogue, um, which I have never. I think I dabbled in it a little bit. I never really bothered playing have you ever played the original rogue is that anything no. you've ever experimented with? i've considered doing this the uh some of the there's like the reskins that make it a more yeah. traditional rpg yeah. um but i've never had the time or the time preference for it so no yeah it's it's um it's a it's a doozy it's a, originally it's, it's basically one of these things that's sort of like in the ether of the um, of like the computer industry and the gaming industry, uh, that that like there's all these different versions of it. It's been around since around about 1980, um, originally for Unix mainframes, and then you know subsequent editions. And I believe there's still a game that's essentially free and sort open source software called Rogue. Um, the the I guess the key conceit is um, that yeah you there's a randomly done randomly generated dungeon and you are it's it's extremely brutally difficult um and you are tasked with you know getting all the way to the bottom of it there's really isn't anything in the way of story um and and it's it's mostly noteworthy for uh yeah this idea like you know you you get it's it's you don't necessarily get to. I don't think in the original rogue you get to take anything across. Um, like if you once you die, that's it. Uh, the only thing you take is your knowledge as a player of the various systems and how they interact. And the idea is essentially um, armed with this knowledge that you, in subsequent um, playthroughs, are 
able to make better decisions um, given you know the information that you have at hand and, and so on. The um, anything that's not rogue itself is typically designated as a rogue like, and then depending on how punishing they are uh, in terms of difficulty, um, they sometimes either you see this designation rogue light, um, where maybe you get you know more like you unlock various things or you get certain kinds of things that you're able to to take from playthrough to playthrough. Um, and yeah, uh, FTL I think was mainly mainly noteworthy for for um, for or not mainly, but one of the one of the main things that it's that it's noteworthy for is um, introducing this this idea of um, of design because there's you know we've, we've talked about this a little bit before on the show where um, in large part the like the original video games arcade games the idea was you put in a quarter like Galega is the classic example of this right you put in a quarter you play as long as you can get as high of a score as you can there is no end state there is no end goal you, there is no beating the game there's just like doing better than the other people on the scoreboard um in, in part, that was a function of technological limitations. In part, it was just sort of like, you know, this was the early days of design. Um, then you had um, more kind of like narrative games or, or game, not even just, na not even narrative necessarily. You had something like Contra where, you know, there is a beating the game, um, but you're on a linear path. And Essentially, the, the difficulty derived because you, you you know oftentimes basically this is before you had really much in the way of hard drives or, or the idea of you're going to be state saving any kind of state or anything like that. I mean, it was much a technological limitation as a kind of intentional design design decision. Um, people may forget or maybe not know, but in the original Nintendo, the NES, um, one of the things that was so revolutionary about the original Legend of Zelda. It was a revolutionary title in, in a lot of ways, you know, design-wise and so on, but but one of the most revolutionary things about it was actually technological in that it had batteries that would allow you to save without a password system, which was the main way that you would, you know, preserve any kind of progress um, in prior titles. Um, Zelda had, you know, physically on the actual, like, game cartridge itself had a way for you to save your progress without using a password system which would have just not worked with how complex the game was. Um, and, uh, and and that was the beginning of using something like, uh, you know, memory, you know, hard drive or whatever, you know, some kind of memory apparatus at a technological level to preserve your progress in a game world um, towards some kind of a... Um, Resolution, right? Some kind of an end state. Like there is, you can beat the game Legend of Zelda, right? Um, and then as technology progressed, and you had essentially, you know, saving became perfunctory. I mean, from a technological perspective, it was just there's no cost. Uh, the cost was design wise. The cost, the, the, essentially, the the the, the problem uh, epitomized by I think early 2000s um, cover shooters like we've thought we have an episode of Gears of War we both love Gears of War but Gears of War is kind of the paradigmatic example of this is you're just basically on rails right and what the game is saving is like okay you've cleared this room of enemies and now you're on to the next room and that's kind of as complex as it gets and that's com as complex as it gets design wise and that's very common or was for a while 
Um, it's Call of Duty's the same way, right? Um, and and so then you had you had people who you know starting to recognize this problem of um, if you if 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 you essentially at a technological level saving a world state is a solved problem. And okay, there's some engines that you know don't, but for the most part, it's a solved problem, right? Um, for for most genres and most games, and and more importantly, as a player expectation, you know the idea, you know like I remember in the '90s, um, there were game reviews that were like, you know, this title is is uh, you know frustratingly it doesn't let you save anywhere um, or any time. The I think the sole exception to this, which is kind of a problem at a technological level, is like flight simulators. It's just you know there's so much going on in the simulation that it can be hard to preserve all of it in a world state. Okay, but with that exception, which is now even to some extent being worked on, you know, you have um, at a design level. Um, people are able to save whenever people expect to be able to save whenever. And so in a large way, in, in many ways, the, um, the difficulty kind of goes away because, you know, essentially if you can save any time and load any time, like where's the challenge? Um, and uh, so essentially you get, I think, two, big picture-wise, you get kind of two directions that you can go from there. Like one, once you have this problem, there's like a fork in the road. One direction is Iron Man, right? Uh, where, like, the game either rewards you for never loading or physically prevents you from ever loading. Um, and, you know, whatever decision you make, like XCOM or, or whatever else, um, you, you are prohibited mechanically from undoing any decision or maybe you get like one undo button or something but but basically you never get to undo you never get to revert you never get to load you can save but you know the game saves automatically anyway um and you never get to load so whatever you do that's final and that's it and so the 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 challenge the difficulty the the you know that level of engagement with the player from a design perspective emerges from like the keepsies aspect of it where everything you do is indelible um the other direction you can go uh, that FTL really pioneered is rather than putting together some kind of a big epic experience um, that is going, you know, like a multi-hour RPG or, you know, dozens of hours JRPG or, uh, you know, whatever, where, where, where you know, the, you don't want to lose progress, right? I mean, XCOM is a kind of on the edge, I think, of like what's, What's um, what players, including myself, frankly, are, are willing to tolerate in terms of like you spend, you know, five, 10, 15, maybe hours on a campaign that ends in failure and you have no way of backing up or going to reverting to an earlier state where, you know, the campaign is finishable. Um, that could be very frustrating, obviously. So so rather than building around like you still expect the player to win and and you're just punishing them for making bad decisions by forcing them to abide by the consequences of those decisions. Rather than that kind of an approach, you're adopting an approach where the entire game itself is, you know, in theory finishable in the course of an afternoon if you know what you're doing. And the challenge, the, the, the learning curve, derives from having to do multiple runs, right? This is the, there's now a whole kind of terminology around this where, yeah, it's like you, I'm going to do a run. And a run means, you know, a, a, a whole campaign. Um, how, how long would you say, how long does as a typical FTL, if, if you make it all the way through, how long is an FTL campaign, a run? Uh, it's, it's pretty variable. Um, but all the way through, with actually kind of a 
blur looking back on it, but it's at. It can be an I think an hour, an hour and a half for something a, like that. Yeah, it's not very yeah. long. I think is the point, no. right? Um, it's it's an interesting mix between like a I think a more traditional rogue style game. It's maybe about a half hour tops, absolutely tops for a good run. Um, whereas FTL is definitely it's a because it's but by nature being semi turn based, uh, it can take far longer. Yeah, well, you could. Pa- I mean, it's kind of real. It, 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 there's a number of interesting design decisions. Um, one of which is, yeah, it's it's like real time with pause, which uh, I like generally as as a design. I mean, it really only works for single player games, but um, it's a very it's a very good kind of balance um, because uh, like Frostpunk's the same way, right? Where like you you can pause and think and plan out basically at any time, but then the, the, the mechanics themselves are, are operating in real time. And, and yeah, that, that tends to, um, uh, that can, you know, versus like something where, uh, you know, there's the clocks always running or even if it's just strictly turn based, but, but, um, turns move pretty quick, like into the breach, which we'll also be discussing in a little bit. Um, the reason I might call it semi turn based is because every weapon on the ship effectively has a, um, initiative meter, as you call it, or a reloading time, where you so like your weapons are always going in order. It's not a real time strategy game, in that you're like choosing when to pop abilities unless you unless you want to use it in a you know, for later. But you're kind of setting up a rhythm of your ship that, it, and you kind of just pause to make a fine to fine tune the rhythm your ship's in. You're not you're not doing so much a unless you're playing a, a very specific kind of build. You're not playing it like a uh, RTS so much as you're playing it like a like you can you can visualize when they fire when you fire. It's very distinct. It's very uh. It's it's it it it's interesting because there's no like turns, but you can definitely see if you're watching it when we play it who's going if it's the opponent or you. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yes, and and yeah, it's actually. I, I I should maybe also preface this by by noting I um I basically I played FTL not long after it came out until I beat it once, and then I started dicking around with some of the like ships that you unlocked, in particular the uh, the engineering whatever the the, the the one with the four robots. Like the basically is one of the first ones you unlock. It seemed like it would be a good idea because those are some of the most valuable crewmates. And I, I don't know. I just I, I, I was reflecting back on this. I was like, I feel traumatized, frankly, by FTL. It's so now maybe if I played it a bunch more, I would I would feel more or, you know, maybe I'm in a different spot now or or something. I'm not sure. But um, like, it's been a while for me, I guess, is, is my point. And and um, I, I do appreciate FTL. I always felt that its RNG was a little bit too punishing a little bit too unfair like even after i beat it i would still you know granted you know i I did a couple runs after i beat it and i never beat it again and i felt rng was a big part of the reason why and so there's if you sink i i've sunk a lot of time i love it i love ftl i love the atmosphere i like the music it's a outside of like the winning and losing I i find it very fun to play uh despite the music being great it's also a good podcast game if you're if you like a podcast um, because it's so plausible and things but there's a <laughs> thing you a 
so the game's conceit is that you have to finish this run and beat the final boss to save the world and it's you're like on the basically on the run from an enemy fleet trying to kill you the whole time so it seems like you would want to go fast right to outrun the fleet the thing is you don't actually want to outrun the fleet you want to stay as close to the fleet as possible and farm resources yes and farm resources so i think if you're you have to figure like you until you figure that out you're not going to figure the game out and you're, you'll just keep hitting the end boss and getting wrecked. And that's probably the most old school, most brutal thing about it is that because you can get good at making that initial run and then you'll die in the late game all the time. That that happened to me a bunch. And it was really, it, it's it's one of these situations where like, um, maybe this is a good segue to, or I don't know, I'll, I'll, we'll be returning to the topic. I've been thinking a lot about difficulty um, and like, because I'm I'm not opposed. I, I I'm very much of the old school like hard is good kind of approach. I, I don't I don't have any problem with difficulty as such. But I think there's like different kinds of difficulty or or um, there's like rewarding difficulty versus unrewarding difficulty or difficulty that feels fair versus is fair versus like really isn't fair or that's you know poorly executed. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to approach it and. Um, yeah, definitely. FTL in particular, I think, really stands out for, like, you going in, you know the game is going to be hard. In your first couple deaths, you don't even mind, because even as a new player, um, like, you could typically understand what you did wrong, or you, you look back on decisions you made that weren't good, or, you know, the, typically you have, like, you, you know, grug-level things that you did bad, you can kind of understand. But the first time in particular you, you come across the boss, it's like you feel prepared, you're doing well again. You know, you, first of all, you made it that far. Second of all, you know, you, you have some experience under your belt at this time. You're as prepared as you know how to be. You know the boss is an unknown. Um, and so you're sure there's going to be some, some stuff, you know, thrown at you. But you don't, you know, you don't know what it's going to be. And, and, but you figure it's going to be, you know, more or less what you're accustomed to and it's just not <laughs> it's 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 just it's not a difficulty spike it's it's a difficulty like you know like it's like wall. conceptual almost like it's a different yeah you have to think about think about the game in a whole different way a, a completely different way um yeah and the thing is as someone who's put a lot of time like an insane amount of time at fdl um one thing that i and I, i've talked to people who got kind of see through the matrix is that if you know it's coming and you're prepared for it, it's actually the easiest part of the game when, because you've been specking into fighting that thing the whole time. And what gets much harder is those last like four or so fights because you're specking in a direction to kill that boss and not fight ships. Right. And then these very powerful standard ships come and they really wreck you because you're not trying, you're not designed to fight that which way. to me like i again this so this is like maybe this is just me you know bitching or something but i i don't again i don't have a problem with difficulty as such i like difficult i played i beat cuphead on hard it's not it's not about that um that to me smacks of poor design frankly because like like you <laughs> the idea that you're going to like I understand, there's a pro, you know, the, there's, there's, there's maybe there's a question here about how do I keep the game engaging for people to keep coming back to, which is a legitimate concern. But I don't think the answer is like essentially force you to spec 
in one direction that makes it harder for you know in order to beat the final boss that makes it harder for you to complete the rest of the game because yeah that was my problem was like i several times would spec in either towards like general adaptive fitness to the environment as a whole or for you know maybe ship to ship combat but not that particular ship to ship combat you know with the final boss and then the final boss comes and it just blows it all away um and the one time i did beat it it was you know by the skin of my teeth and okay maybe with more experience i'm sure but but it's just like it's it's frustrating as a player to deal with it 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 really is well you know so let's get to we're kind of speaking very at the end of it and i want to come back to this but so there's three kind of in each fight there's four well there's four major ways a fight ends one is you run away because you can just warp out of there after a certain amount of time in the fight you recharge your engines and, and fly away the most common way is you blow up the enemy ship up and you salvage them for scrap they can also surrender some ships can surrender and there are and basically you get less loot but sometimes you get more like but you get to see the loot you get before you uh get it so like if you need a certain piece of loot also it's there's no morality system in the game at all but it's implied it's the more moral option is to accept surrenders and then also the most the best option is to uh kill the whole crew and then salvage the ship Uh, it's very uh age of sail taking a prize style and if you're so which gets to how you should play the game if you're trying to win and this is a cheat from a, a you know a little bit tip from a I don't care if it's a high level player because it's a single player game but someone who's pretty good at the game is that you should be always the best way to spec is to be a someone who just is a, be a ship uh, yes. capturer yes and because, because then you get the most scrap essentially you get the most scrap and, the most and other stuff and weapons and all kinds of stuff. and yes. also boarding the boss is the best way to fight the boss. That's, oh, is it? Boarding, okay, yeah. boarding is the I never even best tried. way to. F- yeah, and and, and and there's the ship. The boss ship looks very scary, and it's got a lot of crew, so it looks like you wouldn't want to board it. But there's all kind of stuff you can do. But um, I don't give the whole give away all the secrets of the trade. But the boarding is the one method that you can spec into that works both is as a okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, I never that I didn't get that far. Ship, I guess, ship and my, a yeah. boss fighting uh, manner. Also, there and, then there's, and there's there's some stuff. There's other also other options, but that's probably the biggest thing. And the other the other thing that I think is great FTL is the, it. So FTL is just is very innovative. That's kind of what I wanted to start with. Is that it? Not only the innovative. Other other games have done this, but FTL abstracts everything in a space sim that you would want. So in theory, the gameplay loop is that you are in a kind of like a dogfight or a old school like age of sail broadside battle with these other enemy ships but you actually but all you see is your ship and their ship uh and you kind of you're trading shots and dodging their shots and stuff and it's but it's everything's automated uh and every system is abstracted into like units of function and power and the and you are con it's a it's a constant uh you know rerouting power to systems repairing systems with your crew um there's a great system of crew probably the it's very simple but it's very elegant the crew skill system where uh as a as a crew member does do do tasks they get better at those tasks which game brings you a 
and everything from shooting to repairing a certain thing, repairing things in general, um, engine efficiency and things like that. They're manning the engine, and they get this really interesting cost benefit when like your ship gets hit or in a, there's a fire or a system failure. Is who do you send? Because if you send your, uh, you know, your weapons guy, who's because the weapons are all right without a gunner, but do you lose somewhat somewhat a rate of fire? Who do you, who do you send to fix these things? If you have enough crew, you can have a dedicated fixing guy, which is great. Um, and then there's the engineer race that have a, a fix it bonus, but they can't do combat. So if you get boarded, those guys are basically useless. And th there's all these great trade-offs and subsystems that are they abstract a very complex system very well uh, it's immediately understandable in terms of how you do the ship uh, it's it's very crisp and clear like design in terms of the use of the ui and uh every system is makes great visual sense and the you can kind of you can tell what the challenges you're going to be facing or are and you're, you're not really surprised by the uh making up they're surprised in the game don't get me wrong but the difference like the actual gameplay loop you rarely get surprised if you if you watched even a single episode of star trek you know intuitively where everything is how everything works like i don't even know i mean or, or played any i mean it's all very like it'd be interesting if you you know someone who hadn't necessarily ever had this kind of, you know didn't have any of those cultural touchstones but as someone who obviously did like yes i i definitely agree the the art and music are extremely well done and um and the the gameplay systems make a lot of sense. It all sort of works. Um, and and yeah, as far as the the um, our, yeah, there's like there's like a ship window, right? Where you it's sort of like you you get to see. It's like you're looking at the, I guess the view screen of your ship or something is sort of what you would see, kind of um, with some additional information uh, as far as the enemy ship is concerned, and and the rest as far as like maneuvers and all this kind of stuff is is abstracted, but you can kind of play it out in your head, and, and it all works works very well um the one of the things about it that i think this touches on too is is um i mean again i don't i don't want to like it's, this is not i don't intend this as any kind of ankle biting critique but um you, you could sort of see in the dna not just star trek generally but the the idea of like um exploration Right. And, and this whole thing of like, you know, oh, because especially when you're just starting out, you don't you don't know what kind of aliens are out there. And, and there is this kind of constant running theme of, you know, you, you happen across an alien planet. And oh, no, like, it is a season of Star Trek. The right. gameplay in the story mode, in this, the fact like the story, you are playing a season of Star Trek. You transport to the. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. The Rajon system and I encounter unknown Rajon planet or. Right. Yeah. Attacked by unknown ships or pirates or you know whatever yeah or i encounter a strange object and there's like a ball of light episodes you know like <laughs> yes um uh, which which kind of makes it all the more like i understand why as a designer you need some kind of impetus and you don't want to let your players dawdle forever and this is not an open world game but there's like I, I i just remember feeling so kind of um in some ways constricted by the format of like I want to explore this galaxy more, you know? I don't necessarily want to just have, be in a rush or with a quasi-rush. Just play um, the game 40 times, dude. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's a, that's another way to... Yeah, that's a way to do it. Yeah. That's also how they do the expansion pack, where you can get the DLC stuff with the... And I think it's at this point, it's, in, it's all included with the game wherever you buy it, but all the, like, uh, hidden alien systems and races and stuff and their ships, 
uh, you don't, like, RNG could roll you not getting that system, or the way you move around the galaxy, you could not go into their system and just totally miss the uh, DLC content. The, uh, I think the, game, the designers expect you to play the game multiple times. Like, many multiple times. Right, which is, which is um, you know, I guess it, it depends on, on what your tolerance is for, um, for that or, or, like, what you even, what you even want, um, you know, what you're, what you're looking for, what you find fun or, or interesting. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, so I mentioned, uh, on a previous episode and, and I think it's a good chance to have a little segue about this just to sort of by, by contrast or kind of an interesting direct. Have you heard of or seen crying sons? Do you know crying sons? Have you, I don't think you played it. I've heard it, but I've not played it. I, I go. I went back and forth. I actually. So it was. I got it for free on um, the Epic Store a while back. It's not. I think it's either fifteen or twenty dollars normally, and I'm sure it'll be you know free again at some point. But um, it's 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 where's it's it's influence of FT, it's basically it's FTL as a template um, with like additional stuff going on. The number one thing being um, a um, a rather involved narrative it's it's kind of like dune crossed with foundation ish um there's a there's an interstellar galactic empire that's collapsing and nobody knows why uh you are ellis idaho very conscious obviously nod to duncan idaho and you're cloned in a vat and and it accounts for that one of the other interesting things um which i think into, into the breach does as well is accounts for the roguelike mechanics in gameplay terms because ftl it's just sort of like it's just each run is a run it's, it's like its own universe right i mean there's no yeah there's no idea that you're connecting the narratives to each other at all um into the breach uses this like time travel idea sort of um where there's like different timelines i guess all you know earth is being invaded or something by kaiju on multiple timelines and so these mech first kaiju battles are happening and Every time you fail, you go back in time to try to reset the timeline. Um, and, yeah, and so well, that's... I can see when into the breach real quick. Is also, yeah. when you, you succeed, they say, hey, bro, still more timelines to save. You can't... Yeah, right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Which yes. is great. Yeah, that was, that was... Yeah, we'll get there in a... We'll talk about yeah. that in, in a minute. But yeah, exactly. But, but that... One of the interesting things about that is that it accounts for... It's like... It's a lampshade, you know, but it works. I think it works actually really well as a kind of... It's a plot narrative device that's... Um, accounting for the the nature like you know yeah okay sometimes you fail your run that's okay it, it actually you know we have an in-universe explanation for for that and why it works and so on um crying sons does the same thing basically for ftl where you are the you're the captain of the you're the admiral of this you know imperial warship um and you're a clone and so and every time you you start as a clone and every time you um start a run it's like another clone is waking up from the clone facility and um actually there's also kind of plot related to like how did you die originally kind of stuff you don't know to start the game you learn by the end of it um and uh i, I don't know it, it was really like the art is beautiful it's pixel art in a, in, a, in a different kind of direction than ftl but but you know same kind of pixel art overall aesthetic I, I really liked it i love the music um the the gameplay was like 
fresh, like not very good. I don't know, it was okay. It's it's just it. I think it has DNA as a. I think F, FTL wasn't originally developed as a mobile game, though, was it? I know. I know they had. I know that it was very popular on on iPad. No, yeah, it was developed as a full game. I believe it was one of the earliest Kickstarter games as well. It's it really was, cool. yeah, definitely yeah. one of the first, if not the first, um, computer games. Uh, Kickstarter had been around before. I don't know that there had been Kickstarter computer games before FTL. Well, there uh, were, but I think they weren't completed. Like FTL was one of the few that like wasn't vaporware. Yeah, right. There were games before FTL, but FTL came out first of all of them, and right. And also, yeah, so in addition to sort of, I mean, again, its impact was not just in essentially, you know, making roguelikes a thing for genres, but also making Kickstarter a thing for, for um, like, development process and funding. Yeah. And also, I believe it also did some of the stuff with uh, not just Kickstarter, but, like, the pre-release release stuff. Uh, FTL, that final, the final FTL was, it was a very different game than the uh, original, like, yes. alpha version. Yes, yeah, I so remember that, yeah. The biggest change was that they added an easy mode, which is still not very easy. It's not it's not easy at all, but the original game was only on medium, and medium is pretty rough. Yes. I don't think I ever beat it, yeah, I think I beat it on medium, I never beat it on hard. I'm too much of a, I'm never gonna play a game on easy, but... Hard uh, gets very RNG. Hard is... Yeah. You're basically... Basically, in a hard, in my opinion, you need to either spec into a very specific ship, like, uh, and get a lot of scrap early on with a to do like a stealth type ship, or get very lucky with your RNG in terms of weapon drops, or your your SOL. Hard is hard is unfair. Like hard is truly unfair in a way. That medium is difficult, but arguably fair there's rng but it's fair easy is still very difficult but but it's doable hard is it's almost all rng at a certain point yeah um yeah so so anyway yeah i just thought well uh, yeah right so what i wanted to say about crying sounds i was remember so um one of the interesting things about it is basically it take it, it uses the same basic conceit which is like you are being hunted across this like star system and you got to jump from star to star within the system to reach the boss who's at the end. Um, but it cordons off what it calls chapters um, such that like basically each, every three, you do that three times, you reach three sector bosses and at the third sector boss, it's like the boss for the chapter which functions as a kind of final boss and the game is divided into chapters and and like once you beat one chapter until you beat the whole game there's no way to go back but each time you each new chapter start you're starting from zero um for kind of really dumb plot reasons that don't that doesn't make much sense the clone thing works that i don't think that aspect worked narratively nearly as well um but it provided an interesting because like you could like you could tell I, I um from a design perspective there's this like rather than this purely kind of open-ended um thing with ftl where it's like you know the we have this this big bad ship uh hilariously with the the ship you're fighting is the rebels right like the bad guys supposedly are the rebels who are all yeah, human so the, <laughs> if you want to go into the you will finish the crying signs thing i want to go into the hilarious and kind of we'll, yeah hilarious. we'll do that now but yeah so so rather than like you know it, it's all about that it it's um there like but it's it's kind of there's very little narrative and what there is is episodic it's like a couple lines of text every time you land on a planet um 
Crying Suns, you get much, much more. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of plot. It's fairly intricate. And the way that, and, and so the question is, how do you do that within a kind of roguelike setting where you, ex- design-wise, not only you accounting, but you're expecting that your players are going to die over and over again and reset all their progress. Um, and they kind of have this kludgy solution. But it does, I don't know if it works super great. I, I would overall recommend it, um, especially to fan. If you like FTL, you're looking for something different. But um, it's just, I, I find it mostly fascinating from a kind of design perspective of like, how do you do FTL or roguelike with a shit ton of story and exposition? It's sort of like, you know, solving that problem or not even a problem, just taking that approach. On, on which note, yeah, let's talk a little about the story and the background for FTL. So FTL is very enjoyable. It's every, uh, there's a lot of, it's, you know, they do a lot of leaning on mystery and you gotta play it a few, you have to actually probably play it a couple times to understand the story. And the, outside of the basics of your, so you're fighting the rebels who are a faction of breakaway humans. Um, you are the last, basically, you're taking a message. You're, the conceit of the game is that you're taking a message to the like the last Federation stronghold. The Federation is the uh, super gay uh, star. It's like Starfleet. It's full of aliens. It's the Star Trek Federation. It's gay. I mean, yes. Yeah. Um, the so, which is fine. I you know in terms of it's a story and the kind of big twist that I don't think it's too much twist because you. The only play that only really happens the first time, and we've talked about it already, is that you deliver the message, and they're like, "Okay, cool. The 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 final attack is coming to the Starfleet base. Um, now you have to like fight and be a part of that big fight and win, or the last Starfleet bastion gets destroyed, and the galaxy becomes a kind of how do you call this?" A world, uh, a galaxy of independent peoples, not bound by any kind of central trade federation. To I mean, basically, you're 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 the globalists, and you are basically every every single species that you go to, except for I think one is as a rule anti you. They are so you travel like to the there's like the rock aliens and the pregnant aliens and the slug aliens and the engineer type aliens and even the human type aliens every place you go except for the engineer type aliens is actively hostile to you and and your crew so obviously the rebels are like very popular um you are basically the oppressive government uh trying to reinstall you know the federationness over it and the humans are the breakaway but they are basically basically break they're basically separatists they're kind of breaking away into their own thing and you have to stop them and it's there's a lot of like mechanical re- like the game is basically forcing you to play as the most federation type po- way possible it wants you to have uh, a crew of every kind of alien because they all have one thing they excel in uh, one alien is good at fighting like ship to ship combat either defensively or offensively uh, humans are kind of all rounders uh, a lot of them have special abilities and also in every in the the so there's the encounters are all the either the ship fights or the kind of text adventures when you go to a they're very very linear text adventures very short when you go to an unknown area sometimes it'll be a sometimes nothing will happen sometimes it'll be a planet you can go investigate and you'll get like an encounter that's a text adventure and almost every encounter uh, will have like a hidden option 
that if you have a certain you have a certain weapon on your ship or a certain species of crew member they can like talk it out for you because uh, the game kind of has some shitlib priors and one of the conceits in some of these events is that well you don't have someone that can speak alien language so you have to fight uh, which is not how things work I don't think uh <laughs> If only we spoke Pashto. Yeah, that, that, that was yeah. <laughs> That's the ticket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but so there's so the game also the you know, there's mechanical reasons to have a diverse uh, a diverse crew. Basically, basically, you you're playing the shitlib Imperium and you're reasserting yourself over all the every single species of space. Um, in brutal fashion you you kill a lot of people um you are very clearly if you look at it through any kind of non like just if i if you don't have to look very hard to see that you're, you're kind of the bad guys here um there's even whole like you are essentially going through every single type of aliens like home nebula or home solar system stripping them of resources by killing random ships in their area like you're effect you're effectively the, you're the pirate you're the bad guy effectively and you sh basically you strip the entire every other species of resources to fight a battle at the end uh, against the separatists and maintain hegemony it is it's like it's it's kind of has to, it's like the fulfillment of the shitlib empire fantasy where they are at once the oppressors and the rebels at the same yeah, time. Yeah, like like George Lucas's thing in Star the original Star Wars, right? Yes. You you are both you're Yeah, exactly. It's it's I mean also it's very inspired by all these things. Uh there's no prime directive stuff, but there are like, was it is it gas a lot of gas cloud episodes, um for sure. The uh, mechanically, the fights are always kept interesting because you go when you go to say the uh, the praying mantis home system, you they will constantly board you and try to uh, kill all of your crew, and it makes it harder if you are a, if you're playing as if you're playing as a human crew to fight them. Um, interestingly, that that the uh, the best combat rate or there's, there's two like combat guys you can have that are good at boarding enemy vessels and there's the Primantis guys who are just having a straight fighting stat bonus and then there is the intentionally unintentionally hilarious guys who are these kind of uh human they're human battery people and they so whatever room in, the, in your ship uh they are in they give you like one more power which is a very big incentive to use them but also when they die, when they die in combat in game, they explode. So you can use them as boarding troops. <laughs> and <laughs> as the enemy, you know, repels borders and kills them, they pop and cause damage. Uh, so you can, you can, if if you spec in a direction, you can be a human captain of this fleet leading uh, like Janissary praying mantises and suicide bombers to murder the crews of the indigenous peoples and like loot them for scrap and uh, it's it's and as as corny as it sounds and it's like oh you, it's kind of bug but it is like a lot of fun to do even if the politics are you know 
silly and uh, shit libby, but it, uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of rambling. But there's there's basically there's it's politics are silly and dumb. It's nowhere near as uh you're you're not getting like the depth, but it it, it has that same kind of element of uh, what do you call it? Like shit living exceptionalism where it's okay. Cause you're the good guys yeah. in Star Trek. It's, yeah. It, it is the game captures the feeling of piloting a ship in the Star Trek universe, uh, in terms of like the abstracts, you'll all power the shields, all power the engines or, you know, cause it's and the security team to repel borders, you know, all that stuff. Uh, there's, it, the game captures the feel good. Uh, there are some certain mechanics you can kind of abuse, that uh, feel very on Star Trek. My favorite one is to leave a hole in your ship in a room you don't need. Oh yeah, and then just and even yes, and then you vent people... the oxygen. So there's a you, and then you can whenever borders approach, you can push them there. Vent the oxygen, yeah. and yeah, and it's it's great. So at a certain point, I in the campaign, especially if you're going, if you're going to like a praying mantis area, you can upgrade your doors so there's no uh, oxygen bleed as you know as through the doors. And then have only oxygen in the parts of your ship that you have crew, which gives it a. Oh, more I did like that a bunch. Almost, yeah, that's a totally viable strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you like a DOS boot kind of feel, like where you're like you're flooding the compartments uh, of yeah. What are you flooding the yeah, flooding the compartments and like, not well not just, you know like you're more of like a stealth campaign kind of where you're hoping to get boarded so you can do all this kind of crazy stuff with uh, closing doors and locking them and you can use uh, there's. There's a great, there's a, the combat system is really great, and I don't, it's hard to talk too much about it, but there's a, not quite rock, paper, scissors, but there's a, there's weapons that do just, like, straight damage in a single room, there's missiles that go through shields and do damage, and there's also, like, uh, drones that can be used for combat, and offensively and defensively, as well as, like, beam weapons that can hit multiple, that cause damage based on what rooms they hit, and can also hit individuals. So there's, and... And, these, and those systems all kind of interact with boarding and uh, killing crew. There's, you know, there's, there's even a weapon in the game that only kills, like, crew. It's uh, it's real good, obviously. And the, you get this really good loop of, like, trying to keep somebody's shields down. And you and there's, a, there's kind of this balance in the game of do you want to try to target their individual crew members to, like, loot the ship versus uh, lowering your damage and by kicking their weapons and keeping their shields down because you gotta keep your shields down to hurt them at all. And it, the game makes damage very meaningful in that way and that it's probably, I think of all the roguelikes I think I've even played, it has the most brutal damage system to where you can't like heal ship damage. You need you need special events to heal ship damage or uh, you or you pay a lot of money to fix your ship. So it, it, makes, it makes every ship hit feel meaningful in a way that star trek it really captures right because star trek they'll get, they'll get hit yeah no not all the all. time and now it's like whatever when, when 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 meaningful damage is done to a ship in star trek it's a major plot event like if it's not just you know we got a uh, you know, bulkheads down on deck 31 it's like nobody gives a shit but like you know if you you know if if, if it actually is you know meaningful it's like I, I mean it's probably i can count on one hand to the number of times that's happened versus yeah and that was one of the most um because yeah it it's it's um I mean, in some ways, you could say almost realistic. I mean, what, what does realism mean in this context? But obviously, if you have a thin layer of metal, all things considered, quite thin, uh, separating you from the void of outer space, like 
it's a big deal if it gets touched even a little bit, right? Um, and and definitely the game captures that well. I think the game captures a lot of. I mean, the the, the maybe that's I don't know how much of a criticism. It's not even really a criticism. It's just a, more of an observation ultimately that like uh, it does such a good job of of um, being a kind of um, like it gives as you say it gives you the whole feeling of a of a Star Trek season. Granted, it's the same story every time, but whatever. In like half an hour, an hour. I mean, uh, Star Trek. Yes, Star Trek. That's Star Trek season. Yeah, and same and every time guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's it's um and but it but it it leans into the the simulation aspects of it. I don't know what a better word than simulation would be, but but basically making you think about how systems like you know. Like you, you mentioned oxygen. That was one of the the earliest kind of aha moments for me playing the game, and that really made me appreciate what was going on. Was you know basically if you have if you have crew members that need oxygen, which is most human and non-human crew members. There's a couple exceptions. Um, you need oxygen, and if you if your oxygen isn't working, everybody dies of suffocation more or less slowly. Um, and there's various way, things that can do to like, you know, if, if there's a hole in your ship or a hole, and if there's a hole in one part of the ship and then there's another part of the ship that doesn't have a hole, but it's exposed because there's an open door or the door can't close all the way or it's not 100% sealed, you will lose oxygen from there as well. Um, and then, yeah, you use various things. So, so the, the systems-driven gameplay is, is big too. And, and it's definitely one of the um, most impressive and, and most interesting things about FTL and and I think in in a lot of ways why you know there's been a lot of roguelikes since then I I played some I haven't played uh, a couple of the big ones I think the the one that I feel that, that I should that I haven't the most is Dead Cells I don't know if you've played it or have heard of it um, I have I would say the one you play most is, is Massive Chalice okay yeah well I'll do that and then we can do an episode on that and it'll be a nice companion piece probably yeah Massive Chalice is great and it's it's our game. Yeah, you know, you met. We, I'm familiar with the, like the genetic mechanic, and and that definitely sounds and like it's basically eugenicist, which is great. Yeah. Um, it's also it's also there's a, I don't want to spoil. There's a, a second. There's, there's the eugenics tree, and then there's like the culture tree. That makes sense. Based where <laughs> you like so for instance, some things are genetic, right? Like eyesight, you can be so I can be nearsighted or farsighted or have excellent vision, or whatever. But they can also be like a drunk, <laughs> and if you like adopt a kid in that family, because you can there's a mechanics for adopting and. Mm-hmm. Out marrying all this stuff, so if a kid gets adopted into this family or somebody marries into it, uh, like you have, you can't really address, you can't make somebody's parents not a drunk, right? So like they'll have different genetics because you mm. brought them in, but mm. they'll still have these like uh, you know, moral fa- and they can be positive as well. They're not all just failings, right? Right. I had it. I had a notorious. I had it. So there's a, like, a grenade throwing class. <laughs> and I had a family of them that they were did they were really good at throwing grenades. They did massive damage. Damage bonuses out the out the wazoo. But like half of them were <laughs> inveterate drunks, and they would just <laughs> so they, they were Irish. Tell you, this is yeah Irish and family, they would, <laughs> and they and they would just whiff hard occasionally. And they would, it wasn't a miss. You could say, <laughs> they would say like drunk, <laughs> and he just and sometimes uh. they'd miss and like go further. The great thing is because it's like RNG. Sometimes they throw it further than you would. They could. Their actual range was, and hit like you know five enemies. It was great. There's a lot of. It's a great you know, getting into. But they, 
that's why I guess we wrote about RNG. Uh, sure. RNG gameplay is you know feats very much feast or famine, but it it's ne- I would say FTL in a lot of games it's never. It, RNG can kill you in FTL, but it, it's not gonna. It's. To, for RNG to be good, the random number generation to be good, there needs to be a chance that it utterly ruins you, right? They can't only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to go both ways. You need to have like you need to have one. You need to have like critical fails and critical successes, right? And you can't. Not, if, and the critical fails make the successes so much better. So, and I think FT, that's where FTL really shines is that, um, it handles. It handles like a good a success very well, and that you can, like you can you can get lucky in FCO, and it feels like you didn't just ch- cheat through it, and you can get screwed, and it doesn't feel like you utterly deserved it. Um, and I I, I I think that's probably the, one of the uh, that's probably why I think why it's so enduring as a classic people like is that it's. I I, th- I mean obviously I th- I played it obviously at a good age for it where I think you know I had a lot more free time I could play it you know forty times or whatever but I think it's always worth coming back to you in a similar way to XCOM if you view it as like a uh, every run is like a mini XCOM run I think it makes more sense of it in that you're you're affected by uh, the randomness of it you can be unlucky but the the kind of core mechanics are fair and fun. And I think Scratch is a very similar itch to XCOM for me. I think that's why I really enjoyed the latter day XCOM so much, is because they kind of. I was very much primed by FTL to uh, accept RNG and accept all these things and think strategically in a kind of semi turn based way. And I, and I view. Uh, I don't have to, I believe the first one came out about the, about the same time. The first new XCOM. They were, both, they were both in 2012, so yeah. Yeah, I think they were, they were. I think it was kind of. I think that was part of the, uh, you know, the return to difficulty trend, which we definitely saw this time. That difficult, difficulty came back, and and I, I really enjoy. I think that these, the two, about XCOM, one of our first episodes, and this one, I think probably formed my gaming tastes the most. Yeah. Also, sorry, real quick on that note, Dark Souls was 2011. Um. So and and then I think it was out for computer the next year. So, 2011, 2012, very much the era of the return to difficulty, and yeah, I could totally see yeah. that. Uh, it was funny because I always never, I've, I've, always, I've always liked, I've always liked my turn-based games to have this difficulty arc, and I was never a big Dark Souls. I prefer like a 3D game to be a little more forgiving, I guess. Uh, you know, like the kind of Far Cry, Tomb Raider style, uh, Uncharted style. But in terms of turn-based, I really, I really do love a hard turn-based game. I think it's definitely because it was very, it was very formative for me. So I, I, I come back to FTL a lot. Also. It's great in that you can play this thing on a. It's like you can play it on an iPod Shuffle. <laughs> on know? a literal potato, yeah. yeah. Um, very under. I think it's like 200 megabytes install size, something like that. 250. Um, yeah, it's it's very undemanding, very simple, very you know, and and it, it's an, it's a rare case I think of a game um, that uh, wasn't designed for mobile applications, wasn't designed for for phones or tablets works perfectly well on them without PC players feeling like it's dumbed down in the slightest. Like uh, one of my main criticisms of, of Crying Sons I mentioned earlier was was the combat is 
very clearly kind of designed with mobile in mind and, and it's kind of rock, paper, scissors ish, but in ways that don't, it's, it, it doesn't all completely gel. And I think a big part of it is, is precisely because it, it's sort of like, I could see how it would be if, you know, I'm, I'm pressing on the iPad to make the ships go on the grid. Like it would look and feel a little better and I would have different expectations, but you know, for a serious strategy game that I'm playing on a desktop, it doesn't quite work the same way. That's one thing I wanted to bring up actually in terms of rock paper scissors, that uh, in terms of like a strategy game being turn based, the game utterly avoids any kind of rock paper scissors. There's like there's so much depth to every system and subsystem of the combat and the flying and the power and stuff that you utterly avoid any kind of rock, rock paper scissors. You you have to spec in a direction, but it's never like oh I I'm fighting against the this kind of ship I'm just hosed. Um, it, it really like it. it very much avoids any kind of uh, rock paper scissors bias, and I don't mind that in most games. I think most, especially like strategy games, kind of are it's a it's a great little tool. But when a game doesn't do any kind of rock paper scissors, it's very refreshing. And uh, well, it speaks to its strengths that it, it avoids that because and it manages. I think as we were talking before, all these interacting systems, like the systems are individually all very well thought out. Their interactions are all very well thought out. And so the result is you don't need to use any like rock, paper, scissors type thing as a crutch. You can just, you know, let players interact with systems on their own. And, you know, there's interesting synergies and, and things that, that happen and things that work. And, and, you know, maybe things that you didn't necessarily spec for. But, you know, in one particular situation, it, it comes up like, oh, I can do this and I wouldn't normally do that. But it's my last option and it works and you feel good. Um, it allows for all kinds of interesting emergent gameplay and and is a very good example of that um so yeah um did you have more to say on ftl or do you want to talk a little about it into the breach i want to talk about into the breach because into the breach is definitely is is the soft sequel i guess in a lot of ways um it's it's the it's a weird thing like the ui is the same and that makes it like a very similar ui <laughs> um but the gameplay similar is similar art different. style as well, Pick, you know, kind of quasi kind I mean, of yeah yeah. They, they develop it a little bit. It's a little bit. It's not. It's 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 yeah. We, we, let's talk about it. Also, FTL has uh, FTL. I don't think you name your character. There is no name filter in uh, Into the Breach. Oh, and return, I'll have returning, to take yeah. advantage of that. Yes, because I I just so, I hadn't. Pl- sorry, go on. And re- so I returned to an old save, and I was wondering. When did I first play this game? It was like, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, oh, it was right after it was. It was at least post Red Pill, because, <laughs> oof. Well, your first character that you, your first, I believe, I believe this is, I should be the same. I've only played, I played a little bit now. I, I quite enjoyed it. I finished a campaign which took me. It was on my second run ever that I beat the game, quote unquote, which uh, tells you I think a lot about. It. Okay, I'm smart and I'm good at strategy games, but still. Um, and uh, the game also kind of made itself intentionally easy to beat in certain ways. Um, but yeah, your, your starting character is a like hard ass Aryan warrior type, uh, ripe for renaming to, you know, whoever you want, I guess. It's funny that there's no filter. I didn't know that. I, I, I someone was saying on post the other day, I don't know if it's true or not. I assume that it is that you can't even name your horse in red, red dead redemption Two. You cannot name your horse Adolf. like that. That's just crazy. That is absolutely. That's really interesting i agree but anyway yeah so so i'll have to rename you mr ralph to... jensen uh into something a little more spicy uh sorry what yeah. were you saying i was that that's an interesting uh 
think because uh, it's kind of like kind of hack, but I thought nothing was sacred in the Rockstar game. Like, taking <laughs> yeah. shots at everybody, bro. <laughs> we'll have to talk uh, Rockstar at another time. Yes. Well, their satire has always been like a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it, it's like <laughs> soft, intentionally sophomoric, but yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, so so Into the Breach, you play as time-traveling Hitler, uh, going back to save the human race. And um, uh, the, the what to say? So I, you play in a... The game takes place in a kind of like... <laughs> so it's post-apocalypse, but not really the world as it is, or what's left of humanity is on, like, what four continents or three continents islands not even continents well yeah. it's a little unclear when the when the game ends it says like there's four point something billion humans so obviously like basically half the world's population has been wiped out well also you can like but i think also you like the better you do you can save like you can, you can yes talk up. yes uh, we'll go with it. but i want to say that the, the governments are interesting because they're kind of like uh they're interesting so they're, they're run by like Corporations or syndicates. Yeah, it's very Lulbert kind of thing, yes. Kind of, but they're also, like, it's a non-cartoonish portrayal where they'll be like, hey, you need to save my people. Like, you can't, like... Yeah, what are we paying you for? Yes. Yeah, they'll be like, you, yeah. this you, can, you this thing got destroyed. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why am I giving you many money? Um, yeah, but they, but it's not like... They're not comedically... You, you would think that they'd be kind of cartoonishly evil. Like, oh, yeah. say, save the... the oil refinery don't save the city but you know they'll get pissed if the oil refinery breaks but they do like they very much care if people die and uh they're kind of they're very benevolent it's kind of like nrx pilled or like kind of syndic- <laughs> like a, or like if like, or like sin like national syndicalism kind of thing like a falange style thing where they're it's run by like a corporation but he's they all seem to be like decent actors they don't like yeah you're you're and you're a corporation too that was the kind of one of like the big it was like an interesting moment for me playing was like, I just assumed, you know, okay, hey, you're the government defense force and the central government has put all its resources into this time travel slash mech combat, you know, initiative. Uh, and you're humanity's last best hope and the, you know, but that's not, it. I don't really know. Maybe I haven't played enough to see all the background lore or maybe there isn't that much of it to begin with, but uh, it's explicitly like, no, you're a mercenary company working for private, like government, I like, each yeah island is is a government corp is governed by Syndic- a corporation okay. yeah a syndicate sure yeah 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 exactly so each 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 is governed by a syndicate that is paying you and you are a mercenary company and they're also like yeah i don't know about all this time travel stuff but you seem to have futuristic weaponry so go for it it's like okay that's interesting yeah yeah and also the uh like the it's the game is very much like you're getting loot drops from the future as well yes. like do certain yes. if objectives it really is uh, so I guess what you should call it the, game, the gameplay it's a it's such a puzzle game it's a mixture yes. of like puzzle and turn based it's a puzzle turn based strategy game well it's a non RNG I was thinking about this so I was like how would I because I, I realized like sorry go on no you're right that's what I was gonna say. there's the because there's like a time travel mechanic you can see See what all your moves do. You can see what the amount of damage every move you do will do, and then 
like the computer in theory like you can see how your turns all happening at once right you, you well the, yeah the idea is the turns are like the, the enemy turns are quasi simultaneous your turns are not so like you get to do the enemy starts and then with the enemy of these kaiju it's basically it's like pacific rim the video game sort of where it's like you got mechs versus kaiju and the kaiju are trying to destroy the cities and you have to protect the cities and this is really like the, one of the core gameplay mechanics which i found really it's at the heart of it and it's really enjoyable and fun and, and gives a lot of flavor but also a lot of strategic depth is that um uh not only can you damage the buildings yourself but like if you a lot of the gameplay revolves around pushing, like maneuvering uh, the enemies around the map. Because when they com they commit to an attack, the attack depend type depends on their type. And you know, the, like for say for you know, one of the most simple is obviously they just they're gonna attack whatever tile is directly in front of them. So if you push them one tile over, they'll attack one tile over. Um, the thing is, for most types of attacks, when you attack them, they are get pushed themselves. And so if, if the space is open, they'll just move over. But if there's something in the space, then they'll do damage. They'll get extra damage from running into it. And the thing that's getting run into will also do damage. Meaning, like, let's say there's, a, there's one of these kaiju that's attacking a building. If you attack the kaiju from behind... You you made you do the damage to the kaiju, but you're also pushing it forward. It runs into the building and it hit it hurts the building. And this is basically that scene in every movie like this in the Avengers movies where you know like the Hulk or whoever you know uh, tosses the giant space alien demon thing um, into the building and the building is damaged. And in the movies, you know, it's to the point where it's almost kind of like a. I think this whole thing is kind of a lampshade, but it's really funny and it really works really well as a gameplay mechanic too. Is um, like, you know, it's, it's a joke almost in, in, in the internet for a long time. Like, you know, look at the property bill or like even just cop movies, right? Like all the collateral damage in, in you know, pick your cop movie, buddy cop movie from the 80s where they're just, you know, blowing through red lights and, and, and you know, running shit over and, and cars are getting destroyed and buildings are getting destroyed. Um, this game presents you with the bill for that. <laughs> like when you punch yeah. an alien into a building and the building gets wrecked, like, that comes out of your paycheck essentially well also like the like the benevolent ceo of the central whatever committee will be like you just killed 200 people what right. are you doing yeah like 200 people died like what, what why like this is on your hands <laughs> they're, they're and they're pretty they're pretty uh they're not very understanding about it there no. kind of <laughs> you would think with these giant aliens like attacking humanity on the verge of extinction that they would be like you know sometimes things happen but also, there's one of the, some of the most interesting. Also, because like this lends very uh, some excellent like game design stuff where you'll have the uh, human forces fighting alongside you, like you'll have, they'll have like a tank or artillery. Yeah, right. Yes, yes. And but the thing is, they can all get pushed or manipulated too, so you you gotta be careful. Like the enemy will tr will. Tr the AI is really good. The AI sees what the most damaging thing is given your mission objectives and is generally pretty good about putting you in a tough spot. And, you know, it's one of the few yeah. games where the AI plays the objectives very well. Yes, right. Uh, I think part of that is I don't think there's... I don't want to say like there's no AI in the game, but I think it's very scripted. Because I think... You, I Wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I heard, From what I understand, so the, 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 the designation of the game as a, as a roguelike is also kind of like... I mean, it, it's almost an FT... I, I would say at this point you almost have FTL-likes more than roguelikes, and it's, it probably fits in the FTL-like category more because um yeah i don't think it's randomly generated i think there's about from what i understand there's like 200 or so maps that it just picks which ones it's going to play on um 
rather than ra truly randomly generating the maps. Part of that too is is in this like I find it a little bit frustrating as as a player as a newish player, but also something that's like just part of the design and it, 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 it ends up working. It's just something you have to like get over your head. Is that the each battle is eight by eight, eight tiles by eight tiles, which is tiny, right? I mean that's a chessboard <laughs> and or basically and it's and it's like it's just tiny and um, uh, you know compared to like you know pretty much any tile based or hex based war game um, that's just not as laughable what it means is that your movement is severely constricted and the, the feels quite claustrophobic which because like the the core conceit again is that these aliens are attacking cities kind of works because it's like yeah there's a kind of always an urban or at least quasi urban environment um, that this is occurring in uh, so the, con the feeling of constriction, but it also, it makes it, you know, it's just very tight spaces and it can be difficult. You don't have like, you know, and you don't have turns to like, you know, execute giant flanking, but there's no flanking. I mean, there's not, there's not even a mechanic for attacking from the side or anything like that. It's, um, it, it's all about, you know, using the environment and yeah, you could easily see how it would be hard. I don't know how many, like if there were, truly randomly generated maps i don't know how many more than about 200 would be viable given you know the kinds of constraints that that they're working with yeah and also i don't think i don't, I don't the, the rng is much less important is minimal it it's what's the oh, what's the game it's you they, they have there's it started as a physical game where it's called you there's like a it's like a map it's like a hex it's started a board game it's like not a hex it's like a it's a square grid, and you have a red car that has to get to the get like out of the map. A red Pink car? I don't know. Like it's a it's a, it's like it's called a traffic or traffic jam or something like that. It's like it's a all these you have all these cars in this box that can only move a certain amount of tiles, or in a certain direction. Rush hour. Rush hour. Yeah, it's it's like I it's like combat rush hour. Very much. I, I I know that I, now that you I'm looking at it, I remember this. Yes, I know this game, and yes, it's very much like that. Um, and and yeah, RNG. I mean, well, this like okay. So, what what's uh, I was thinking about this because like, where, where, what was I playing? I don't remember what it was. It was it was something recently. Um, anyway, it was a, it was like it was ostensibly a strategy game, but I ended up. Oh, it was it was Command and Conquer, which I have. Uh, we're going to do an episode on with DE just when we can, we're still working on getting that scheduled. Um, we're like, you, you know, Command and Conquer on the box. It says strategy game and you know, obviously real time strategy and blah blah blah. Uh, I, have, I have a lot to say. We'll talk about it with Command and Conquer in another time. But the in this context, like, what was funny about Command and Conquer was for all the kind of conceits of being a, a strategy game, um, in particular the first Command and Conquer, the original Command and Conquer, I found the single player campaign to be much more of a kind of puzzle game, where it's like you have to guess what the designer is thinking almost. And I found this really frustrating and actually not very, not very good. Uh, in you know, it's been now what twenty something years, um, Jesus, twenty five years anyway. Uh, yeah, so um, and, you know, it, and and that's very RNG. Actually, you know, damage is kind of on a spectrum, and, and it's all kind of it's all real time and all this stuff. And and despite that, there were in a lot of ways the single player uh, campaign felt very much like a puzzle game. Um, Into the breach, like. What's funny is, um, despite having a minimum, I mean, even less RNG than, than most hex-based war games that are like, you know, proper war games, 
to me it felt and, and and you could see i mean there's definitely a puzzle like aspect to it um ultimately it felt more like a strategy game to me because you, you i don't know i mean i can see what you mean by puzzle but there's enough kind of comp like the the combat is chunky and even in the absence of R, I don't know if RNG is what I would say what what makes a war game. And you have a variety of different ways to approach. Like even what I, you know what I said, you know, typically there's not just one solution um, on a turn by turn basis. It's more you have to factor in like, okay, how is this situation going to look next turn, or what, you know, who do I want to leave alive? You know, how much health do I want to have? You know, how much health damage am I willing to take? Or these kinds of things. There's a lot of um, these roguelike type considerations that go into it. Um, and, and yeah, but I don't know if that distinction really matters so much. It was just kind of a, it, as you said that, I was thinking like, you know, yeah, I, I can see why you would describe it as a puzzle game. It definitely has a lot of those kind of aspects, but uh, much less so, I think, than, than some other games that are ostensibly strategy or war games. Uh, so one of the things I want to also want to bring up is that this game captures, uh, no game that I've ever played captured like heroic feel quite as well. I think it's because they're, they, so much of it is abstracted, but there's a very kind of real mechanic where you can, you are basically, it is more beneficial for you to take damage to yourself. Yes. Than to it took allow, me a, like, a little bit to fully, to, appre- yes. Humans to die. And to the point of you can actually, so if your mech gets killed, you can lose a pilot and the pilot dies. And you lose all their stat line, but you get like an AI to pilot the. Uh... Yeah, the AI takes over um, for the for the dead pilot, and uh, yeah. and you you get to select one pilot to to go back in time if you if you if it's a losing campaign as long as that pilot's alive. Yeah, or a win, I think a winning campaign too. Yes, winning yeah. campaign as well. Yes. Yeah, um, and 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 the. It, you know, it, I don't. Think, it's it's very simple, but I think it, the game like handles like self sacrifice in a good way. That it's not like it's totally player choice because I don't think like it, a video, video games have a problem where especially in a video game narrative you cannot make a meaningful sacrifice. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, uh, you like the game will either take the weapon from you or take something from you, or you lose a. a you can like have no choice to where like you, oh they'll kill a party member. Well, I heard if you if you press the X and circle buttons simultaneously with the left and right and left and right in that order that you can save Eris. Yeah, exactly. But that's not sacrifice, right? That's like it's it's just kind of like narrative, and it's and and it can be very affecting, but uh, it's not like giving something. And I this and this is the only game I think actually, like I said, I'm going to. Like, one of my pilots is going to die. I'm going to have a harder time in this mission. But I am going to take this hit instead of these, these civilians. And because I've saved civilians and lost this hit to, that would have gone to a pilot, I will be compensated for it by whatever the the abstraction of, like, civilian man hours is. It's like well, it's not even... Oh, so it's, it's also tied to... Yeah. Well, yeah, it's also... So that's the... So the civilian... Interestingly, so I guess in this future of alien invasion humanity lives in arcologies or giant skyscrapers which double as power generation facilities and so they the 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 civilian population centers that remain are also where you get power to defend against a like it's sort of they call it a grid and it, it and when i only lost one campaign so far 
and when it happened, basically, you know, they said like the grid goes down, and then all these extra aliens started popping up. So somehow, the this power that's being generated that's pr producing a field that's preventing more aliens from coming out of the ground than are already coming out of the ground. And so, um, it's so kind when you of a, yeah, lore, lore wise, it's kind of like years of war in that these <laughs> islands are kind of also plateaus. Sure. Yeah. And that the and like there's some level of, there's some system like in the first years where the aliens have trouble getting through the plateau uh, and with peep humans not there they don't have whatever right thing yeah but and uh, and they're no longer confined yeah like so the final mission takes place in in this volcano you basically go under the ground um, to their lair and set a bomb uh, to, to wipe them out uh, yeah, so you're also like, you're, you, I mean, you do, and that's the thing is like the only, it's not even just, I mean, yes, of course, you're saving civilian lives, but it's also like, in a sense, it's even more than that to save humanity as a whole, because if the grid goes, basically grid damage is your is your overall HP for your camp. It's almost like ship damage in FTL, where if it reaches zero, the campaign is over, and it can reach zero in any mission at any time. So you have to always be careful, like that's your most precious resource, and you can beat the campaign with, with um three AI mech pilots and you lose, you know, your hardcore dude that you've leveled over multiple campaigns to the multiple to the maximum level. Um, you cannot beat the game, you know, if, the, if, if you know, if, if he sacrifices himself so that the grid stays up so that you can wipe out the aliens, you win. Um, if the grid gets goes to zero, you lose. So definitely there's and, and you know, in a couple situations, you know, typically I've only played on normal. Um, I'm curious about hard, I, I'm, you know, what that would look like exactly how how fair i would feel that it that it is but um it, normal is i would say if anything normal you know, maybe better because normal is at least this i've played so far a little bit on the easier side um for sure yeah and there is kind of a similar like head fake in the boss battle but it's much less uh profoundly unfair for sure uh Smart FTL. The other thing with the, that's so in terms of, I think we, we, it's hard. It's hard to make a comparison to FTL a bunch because the um, how do you say the only things that really come over are the kind of RNG loot system and the uh, the GUI. Everything else is kind of uh, its own thing. And uh, well, there's also I well there's a kind of like the islands are divided into sectors and. And there's kind of almost it is a similar kind of thing where like very much like the systems in FTL, you know, you see a map at the um, in FTL you see a map at the beginning and it's a kind of tree expanding from the endpoint, uh, and so it's just a question of like how you get from where you start to the end, and you, there's a couple you know there's several different viable paths. Um, similar kind of thing. It's not a tree diagram. Um, it's it's a it's branching paths from the direction you start. But you're not going to be. The game tells you at the beginning that you're not going to be able to do all the missions, and then after you've done, I don't know, four or five or something, um, on the island, each island, then the rest of the sectors become inaccessible. Uh, and each, so each island is kind of almost like a system from FTL, and you have to do at least two to win. The, the interesting thing is, and, and this I found sort of subversive in a good way, or or kind of contraventing, contravening established gaming design um, um, paradigms in a kind of interesting way where uh, 
after you beat so there's four islands you, you start on one there's only one unlocked after you beat that one a second one is unlocked and then you have to you know unlock more to, to get all four uh once you've beaten two islands the game has a little pop-up it says you can go beat the final boss now if you want you can also go clear more islands but it's not going to make the fight easier and in fact um based both on my own experience and just what i was looking up a little bit after i after i beat it um basically the the easiest time you will have with the final fight is after two islands um each island like gives you more abilities but then the final battles scale to that and basically makes it harder you're not you're not you're you're scaling slower than the the game is scaling to you if i remember correctly every island you go to adds another whole phase to the boss battle oof it's pretty rough um which only makes it like kind of inbuilt difficulty simulator where or difficulty adjustment where instead of going easy to hard to or medium to hard you can do like a two mm-hmm. island run a three island run a four island run and the game's explicit about that they're like here's the number you know you 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 know you get basically like meta rewards to spend on unlocking different mercenary units um based on like okay you beat the game after two islands okay you beat the game after three islands okay you beat the game after four islands it's very like it, it it encourages you to um to like approach it that way and and I will also say I think uh it's worth noting like um <laughs> one of the aspects of it that is more kind of almost puzzle game like is each individual battle which is to say each individual sector on an island is kind of like a little puzzle and it it could take you you know probably about 5 minutes if that um very if you if you're after something that's very bite-sized that's not like something that you're necessarily going to play for a super long period of time or that you just want to you know take a break for five minutes and do something to de-stress or just you know whatever uh it's very very good for that definitely yeah i would i would find myself wishing in that vein there was like a game mode that was just throwing you with random gear random mechs at like single skirmishes absolutely yeah that would work it would work really well right challenge mode yeah yeah it would, I think it was released before, or I don't know when it was, I think it was, I guess it was 2018, so it was, the concept of dailies was, you know, daily runs or daily challenges was around, but maybe they just don't have the development resources for that. Yeah, it's still, obviously it's a pretty small team. Uh, FTL is not a... No, yeah. D, and I, and that's one thing I, I, I think what's great thing about like the indie games is that there's no, that you can, if they want to, or the develop, dev, dev has a vision of, uh, you know, making a bigger, more expansive second or third game or just another a bigger vision, but there's no, uh, like, shareholders to say, hey, you got to make this a... Yeah, persistent online game as a service, yes. And, you have to, or, and you've made, you've, like, probably made a thousand times your investment, so now you need to hire 25 people full-time. You know, it's... No, why do that? Um, you, you can you think teams can kind of stay small and just like pocket the money and I think it's also like I don't want to get into the, like too much of my lefty stuff but the, the people who actually make the game make a lot a, a much bigger chunk of the money this way right instead of oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah, yeah publishers yeah. and devs and, or not publishers or publishers and HR sluts and all this stuff you know it's, it's it's not it's just not needed when the team's four white guys maybe from Quebec <laughs> or wherever you know yeah So, yeah, I don't know, and and I don't beyond that, I don't know that I have um, I don't know that I have like big picture thought. I thought I would have more. I guess I've front loaded my big picture thoughts, which a lot of this has to do with like developers 
responding to technology and and when a technological when design exists in a technological context that changes that puts the you know then it sort of creates like okay well how are we going to respond and and this is you know a whole kind of subgenre now of you know roguelikes and roguelites and and um yeah, we'll definitely play Massive Chalice well, and I please. I also want yeah. to call the difficulty because I was thinking about like the this this kind of began the reintroduction of probably a good three four years of difficulty becoming coming back. And what's funny is even like during the easy days of video games, when games were very easy, they would always like you could tell there was this kind of yearning for this stuff where easy games would have like a very hard mode. I think the horde mode in Gears of War is probably. It's a mode that you have to lose. I think the Call of Duty Zombies obviously calls this where people want to show off their skills and improve and show like how they're much better they are versus when they started. Uh, Mile High Club and Call of Duty is a great example of Call of Duty is like the story of Call of Duty is like the easiest one of the easiest games you know to play in terms of you know left trigger right trigger you just kind of oh you walked a little too fast to that to that room you know do it better next time. Uh, very forgiving saves and checkpoints and all. But there's the whole, if you finish that, there's like the Mile High Club level, which is like requires perfection and planning all this stuff. And I think so. There were always like hints in games that people people really do like difficulty. People like a challenge. Uh, there's a bit of a Faustian drive there that uh, had been forgotten. And I think we're probably, I think this is gonna this started. I think this also kind of is gonna start this cycle, where right now we're kind of in a downswing in difficulty. And I think it's going to come back again. Um, I think also there's difficulty is now like a uh, a tribal identifier. Like how much difficulty you like in your game is like it it it, it kind of loosely tracks onto like how right wing and left wing you are. Uh, kind of like well, the gaming press made this explicit, right? With all this of like make games accessible, and it's you know it's, ex- like they fed into that, and and yeah, definitely oh, sure. that's all very but true. But like if you're playing, uh, what is it? I haven't played it yet, but I'm going to when I get back because I'm because I'm a Nazi. Is uh, the uh, what is this? Shadows die twice. The the Japanese. Oh yeah, uh, sec. You mean Sekiro? No. Sekiro. This is yeah, Sekiro. Are you talking yeah, about the, like the the From Software Japan? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, that's that's Sekiro. Ja- Shadows die twice. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm gonna play that. But you saw that, like that game is clearly on like the right wing of the spectrum, right? Where it's yeah, there's it's like about a race four, and <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's apparently pretty hard apparently it's not as hard as like a dark souls type game but it's you know it's just it's it's you know on the right end of the, of the thing whereas the new gears of war is kind of more explicitly shit libby and they're right and then it's, it's basically yeah you just sort of a, it's a new uncharted is very shit libby and it's even e- it's easier than it's ever been you know it's right i think it's very funny to see that track and it, it was kind of inevitable in a lot of ways. I, definitely, and especially when they start making about accessibility and gamers with disabilities and shit like that. Um, the the interesting thing to me, and this is why I, one of the reasons why I brought it up, is because as someone who you know, in the past has taken it as a badge of honor to play stuff on hard, and 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 I do enjoy difficulty. Like, uh, I had a really hard time playing the original Command and Conquer on normal as part of like like in in the current year. I, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember how I. I think what I ended up, what I did was I save scummed a lot, and the game encourages you basically explicitly. In fact, to the point where I, I saw you know walkthroughs from the '90s saying like, oh, you know, for this mission you really have to sell this structure, and if you don't get an engineer, you know, reload your save. <laughs> this kind of level of 
of thing and <laughs> and um like it makes me want to think about difficulty at a more philosophical level or, or challenge or like what, you know, this kind of intricate uh, dance between the player and the designer or like what the designer intends and, and how the player experiences it as a kind of aesthetic or kinesthetic experience. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like, uh, I like a game that challenges me and forces me to learn and master and you feel like, you know, you're, you're it, it's, it's, you know, it, there, there's an asp- there's things about that that are really enjoyable to me and I think to a lot of Which people. Which also the thing is, you get to the downside of difficulty in that why it's the right way to think is that games also require you to master a skill you'll never ever really use. Exactly. Well, and it's that. ultimately kind of a waste of time in a certain way. Exactly. Yeah, and it's also a, a waste of like energy that could be political or social or absolutely like physical. You know, like yes, and you, you get into the well video games are a psyop thing you know but, <laughs> which i think we, we are gonna I think, I think slowly kind of start to have to develop and respond to that i agree whether, you know i totally agree it's it's yeah. it's something that i struggle with and and definitely you know it's it's not um not an idle concern um well, also one thing that talk about i think i don't know if this is for you but for me it's very true is that as i got into these politics i just not by any even like conscious choice but play less games no well i think it's a couple of things i mean first of all you know now i'm a dad so that cuts down on time then it's like the games themselves are suckier and also i w- the number one thing that i find is um with very few exceptions there are a couple but with very few exceptions like the artificiality of it really sticks out to me in a way that it didn't when i was younger like when you're a kid, I'm sure this is part of why, you know, it's like a similar thing with fiction where you can just lose yourself in this other world and it's, um, you know, it's just entrancing and it's enchanting and, and, and you sort of, you know, your mind does a lot of the work and that's fine. Um, now it's like I can see the seams very, very easily. Um, the You know, the the sort of like it, the, the fantasy aspect, it's it's it's, you know, Part of that too is is there's like you know we're talking about video games as a power fantasy we talked about it a little bit with the in the Skyrim episode. Um, it's easier for me to have a power fantasy of like I'm a you know mech commander in a post-apocalyptic nightmare, uh, making decisions about unit deployment than it is about than it is to have a power fantasy about like I'm drop kicking a helicopter from from orbit. You know what I mean? Like it, it's those kinds of things don't don't confer the same level of um, of um suspension of disbelief where I'm, if i'm playing an action game it's just sort of like it, it doesn't it doesn't grab me the same way um that other things do but yeah i mean it's definitely like you know i've gotten okay to good at company of heroes there's zero applicability <laughs> zero applicability of that i enjoy it but it does you know it, it ends up like, like what is that really worth you know not very much and and um it's definitely i don't know i don't know what i don't know if there's a I don't know if there's a response. We'll we can think about it more, definitely. Um, I think it's just, at the end of the day, and this is why I, I, I you know, we've talked about this before too, but I, I personally default to, like, games, video games, quote-unquote, are media. And you always got to be careful with your media consumption of any type, you know. Um, fiction, even nonfiction to some extent, um, less so, obviously, but, you know, you, you, could, you could easily see, you know, there, you know, it's not a danger that's very prevalent these days, but... If you, if all you do all day is read nonfiction books, 
that becomes a form of narcissistic pathological media consumption too, right? So all things in moderation and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with watching scripted television dramas per se or movies or reading fiction or reading nonfiction or playing video games. I think it's a question of like, number one, you know, what is the content? What, what are you, what are you learning from the experience? What are you gaining out of the experience? And I don't think the answer typically is nothing. I mean, I say nothing, you know, you know but there's also diminishing returns. And, and so it's really a question of time. And you know how much time do you want to Are devote? Are you telling me I, sh- I shouldn't be reading sixty Warhammer books a year? Because <laughs> I'm saying you should only if you're complimenting them with every new Antelope Hill release. Ah. Okay. Balance and moderation in all things. Yeah. That's a good thing. Great thing the Antelope Hill catalog is that they uh it's very diverse. It's excellent. Of, yeah, they do. Yeah. They do a really great job. Yeah. Uh, they haven't got pigeonholed into doing like a single thing yet, so they're. Or hopefully never will be right, but you, know, you you can get your Carl Schmidt, but also you can get the uh, Conquering Berlin, which is like a really good like uh, how you call it? okay Nazi giant Germain kind of thing, where it's re- historical fiction. Um, so I, uh, I you know, a lot of great a lot of great stuff coming out right now. A lot of good stuff. Definitely, and 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 the good thing about it, you know, I think at this point with you know video games are a relatively mature medium is, um, you know, they have a, the same way you have a library of class. I mean, I'm not going to compare, you know, FTL directly to you know whatever the plays of Sophocles or something. But guess who didn't? Guess who? I'm going to congratulate myself. I didn't compare it to the Odyssey, even though it's kind of a <laughs> gimme. It makes it sound real smart. It's not the- really. It's the, just like a game where you travel. So, Crying Sons. <laughs> I, want, I want to do it so badly. I don't actually think that's a no. That's a comp- I on the contrary. No, that's it's, a, a, it's a it's a thing you say to sound smart about a game where you travel. But it's also kind of deliberate, and and it's I, I would actually say that thematically, not only is it present, it was picked up on and expanded in Crying Sons to the point where not only is your ship. You can your ship can be different classes with different kinds of abilities in Crying Sons, but it's always called the NS Odysseus, number one, and number two. National the- Socialist. <laughs> That's now canon. Yes, uh, deal with it, libtards. And uh, number two, you're basically like a big part of the game is it's basically like the the kind of overarching thing that you learn fairly early on is like. It's twenty years that have passed, and your wife is back in the home system. So, like, you know, okay, that's laying laying it on a little thick, but it's there and it's responding to those themes in FTL. FTL is definitely a hundred percent. I wouldn't. I mean, clearly drawing on the Odyssey thematically. Well, I think only in the way, but it's I I I don't give too much credit because like it's drawing the Odyssey the same way that like classic Star Trek did. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's, it's like, like an equivalent work of literature or something. Home, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also a voyage to discover. Yeah, like yes. Yeah, but the, the, the themes from the Odyssey are, are there, and, 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 and that, I think, speaks to its its relevance as a cultural object is, is it's, you know, picking up on, on themes from classic literature, developing themes from classic literature, applying them within a novel context um, in a way that's that's engaging and entertaining and as far as like educational yeah okay whatever i mean this is always kind of a that's the kind of question mark i guess on this whole endeavor but uh it's it's um yeah also what i brought up classic star trek and i remember this one thing i wanted to note that the music at ftl is actually great it's the atmosphere really well and the fun thing is that it's like a midi n64 version of like it's not the Star Trek theme or anything, 
but you can tell her there's like a mini, like a theremin in there. Yeah. And yeah. It's like a midi theremin. It's like a midi theremin. Yeah. They got a, yeah. they, they nail the, the, that, the, like the sonic aesthetics. Yeah, so they, they the they sound kinda, design. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 they like, they, they managed to kind of clutch together pixel Star Trek in a way that isn't, it's, it's really not too cheesy. I mean, there's some cheese, but very little. I mean, yeah. it, yeah, no, it's, it, really, it's, it's well, it's a well-designed thing. It, yes. It's, uh, it's it's a it's a great product to consume, and it, there's that's the that's the ultimate thing. Is like you know when we talk about consuming, you know, it's and a question of what reviews, you consume. Yeah, and in our up down reviews, we kind of the up down review. Should you play FTL? Absolutely, it's yes. great. It's like dirt cheap right now. I look, every Steam sale, it's like a dollar. If uh, that, I mean, it's been for free, it's been free multiple times too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Play it. I'm gonna have to check out Crying Sons at some point. Uh, it sounds very interesting. It is. It's worth. It's worth checking out. I don't know if you'd like want to play it all the way through. I did because I actually, frankly, the main reason was I found the story engrossing and and kind of. And then it, anyway, but yeah, it's. Uh, I would say play Crying Sons. I wouldn't give it an unreserved recommendation. I would say if you like, you know, Dune Foundation type kind of classic sci-fi, and or you're a big fan of FTL and want to see one developer's kind of spin on it in a kind of more story-oriented direction, um, check it out. Otherwise, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it may not have enough to hold you over, yeah. but um, and then so into the reach definitely want, also yeah. recommended. Uh, real quick, do you want to call back? I'm kind of kind of dragging on, but Frostpunk Two looks real cool. Oh yeah, dude, I'm I'm psyched. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. It came out of nowhere. It was like absolutely suddenly yeah. they just announced like oh it's coming in a couple like a I don't know a month or two or something. Yeah. I think someone on a post brought up. I don't want to steal their take, but it'd be very cool because they're doing an oil thing. They say oh we're out of coal now. It's about like the oil Frostpunk. Yes, I'm interested if they're gonna change the aesthetics from like the British Anglophile thing to like a American like there will be blood style kind of American. Yeah, I hope so. That I mean, it's a natural. They're they're very smart designers, and it's a natural yeah. aesthetic there progression. Is an, they implied an American like. Well, the Americans are I mean, the Americans show up in Frostpunk One, right? Like they they have an expedition to yeah to Frostland or whatever it's called. So. Um, yeah, Frostpunk 2, very psyched. It's uh, also, oh, I guess it'll be over by the time people listen to this, but it's all, all the Frostpunk title, the game, base game and the expansions and the Game of the Year edition with all the expansions. Everything's on sale um, for a while until the, and I'm sure it'll be on sale again when, when the sequel comes out. So if you haven't played it, definitely check it out. One of, you know, it, it's my retroactive Game of the Year 2018. I didn't play it until 2021, but... Um, but yeah, so that's that's looking looking good too. There's interesting things happening. Finally, there was a couple of years there it was just completely dead or just about, and now it's there's slowly well, little shoots of life of in the. Why I'm happy we have the show is that the show makes like there is oh, because of the, like, the scale of what video games are. There's always no matter how dead or stupid the industry gets, there's be like dark corners doing cool stuff. Yeah. But you have to like you have to be plugged into those things to find them, you know. Yes. And I think oh, I had people on post to say like, way. "Oh, thanks for the recommend." You know, I hadn't, I didn't hadn't heard of Frostpunk or I hadn't played it, um, and I did think because I listened to the show and it was really great. I'm like, thank. I mean, thank you, thank us. I mean, yeah, no. I mean, that's like, you know, it's uh, we're all fans of the medium, think, fans of the era, think, and fans of the medium. Yeah, and I think <laughs> things slip through the crack, and I, that's why I I, I, don't know, I want you to play Massive Challenge because I think it's gonna it's a similar. Have, Definitely. Like, this game slip, like certain games slip through cracks, and right. I want to hear about the games that you think slip through the cracks, and cool. I've got games that I think slip through the cracks, and of course, and yeah, no, it, that's that's why I'm happy we're here. Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, 
it's good stuff. All right. So I think with that, that's probably enough on, on this. And, um, you know, we, we may, uh, as, as always, I, I think there's more to say, but, but and, and definitely on roguelikes as a genre. But for now, that's it for uh, FTL. Hope you all have uh, enjoyed listening. Please. And yes. Uh, this podcast is dedicated to the brave warriors of the Mujahideen. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Tom, girls are dumb. Girls are dumb.